Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and just ask us. The greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by PROST, Exercise for Prostate Cancer, and the RS Health Penile Rehabilitation Program. PROST is a not-for-profit charity set up by myself in 2012 that aims to help men exercise during their experience with prostate cancer. If you want to know anything more about PROST, including our online service and USB product now available, please just go to prost.com.au. The Penile Rehabilitation Program was created by Melissa at Restorative Sexual Health. This is an online program to assist turning software into hardware without leaving your home. This program was designed for people who live in areas where access to health professionals in this area is not available, or for those who are just too busy to attend consults, or even for those who just feel more comfortable learning at home with online learning and consultations online. For more information about this program, please go to www.rshealth.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health, so prost to you. November 11th. 11 a.m. 60 seconds kids watch on the wall in the pub in the tab in the cars we remember and wonder what welcome to the most magnificent man in men's health <laughs> peter dornan who i regularly call sir peter dornan and peter and i met in 2011 and peter is in brisbane australia so we are talking across zoom and hopefully um, we have our technology now sorted. Welcome, Peter. Thank you, Joe. How are we all? We're really, really good, and um, we are so thrilled to have you have a chat with us today. So what I'd love you to do, Peter, is to give us a little bit of background about how you started in men's health as a specialisation as a physiotherapist. Well, I guess you could say it started with a diagnosis of prostate cancer. In 1996, when I was 52, um, it was a pretty shocking diagnosis at the time because um, I was extremely healthy and knew nothing about my prostate. Um, Eventual treatment, uh, which I had was surgery, uh, left me with pretty disastrous side effects, and that's the normal ones of incontinence, uh, impotence, and depression. And I didn't know how to get out of it. The doctor couldn't help me, so I put an ad in the paper. I couldn't find another man to talk to, nowhere in Australia. So I put an ad in the paper and, and, and about 70 men turned up for our first meeting. About 70 men, hey? About 70 men and their wives and their partners, yes. Wow, so, that's an amazing turnout. Yes, well, it was because they were all sitting there. They didn't know what to do either. They didn't know how to get together. But when I put an ad in the paper, they all, all came out very quickly. And so we started from there and very quickly we, we grew uh, I became the convener. Uh, I sort of morphed into that role, and uh, we met every month and 
and I convened the meetings for the next 20 years. Over that time, we grew to have about a 1,000 members. It was the biggest support group of any cancer in Australia. And, um, and But the other offshoot of that um, was that I did contact other groups in Sydney and Melbourne and Adelaide, uh, who were just starting off also in 1996, and we formed the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia, uh, which, of course, now is the, um, the peak consumer body for prostate cancer. So that was virtually the story. Along the road, I worked out a way to treat my incontinence, to deal with the impotence, and to deal with the depression. And uh, I wrote a book about it in 2002, which um, Joe would know of. And, and um, thank you for all that summary, Peter. So just to let you know, the Prostate Cancer Foundation actually had their 25th anniversary party here in Western Australia just last week. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to be invited um, and we had a, a special afternoon tea with the governor here. Um, and it was just, it was so beautiful, but it was just because of COVID, we couldn't have it Australia-wide. Otherwise, I'm sure you would have been there. So that was with uh, our governor, Kim Beasley, and his wife. But, yeah, so it's 25th anniversary. So your involvement in setting that up is um, extremely pivotal in um, the realm of men's health across Australia. And then worldwide now what i'd love to chat to you about is you had difficulty with gaining your incontinence after your radical prostatectomy so as a 52 year old guy do you recall what sort of leakage was happening and how many pads a day that sort of thing that was going on yeah very very i can recall it quite clearly even though it's uh, it's, it's it's 25 years ago um i was leaking but by about weeks, I was leaking about six pads a day. Six pads a night. Which was pretty disastrous. Yeah. I didn't manage it. But then I realised that women, who are female physicists, treated women with incontinence. So I approached my female friends and they taught me how to do what every woman knows, but no man knew at the time. And that's how to do pelvic floor exercises. That quickly dried it up to about, or after about six months, to about, to, to about a pad a day, which was manageable. Yeah. But and it still was annoying to me. Every time I would leak, it reminded me of the stress I'd been through. So I developed what's called post-trauma stress syndrome with a degree of it. So every time you leaked, you felt that sort of like immediate impact of the trauma of the operation and all the pads and everything. So that was like a PTSD from the constant leaking after, what, a year or so now, was it, by now? Well, by about a year. Yeah. I was pretty well where I was for the next whole four years. <clears throat> so, Peter, um, people listening won't know your background before all of this. This, you are a um, sports physiotherapist and a, have a heavy involvement in the sports medicine of Australia. I think you were you the pioneer of that as well. Um, I was a co-founder of the of the Queensland Group of Sports Medicine Australia. Um, it had only been going three years in Australia up to that stage. And so I was one of the co-founders of, of the uh, Queensland group. Uh, but very uh, quickly, Sports Medicine of Australia became also the peak consumer body, you might say, for sport and medicine in Australia. So I've been involved in that. And that was a great help to me because in 2000, after dealing with this incontinence and depression and erectile dysfunction, uh, I, got a, I got a fellowship from the Cancer Council Queensland. Right, yeah. Uh, and and then in that time, I visited a major hospital dealing with prostate cancer. And, uh, and I learned a lot about incontinence and how to treat it. 
the, the biggest research was done at Wyoming University of Queensland here, where, 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 where the, the idea was that the, 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 where we found out that the pelvic floor muscles were actually um, a continuation or part and parcel of the, of, of the core, of the, of the rotator muscles of the, of the abdomen. So I came back with a very strong idea of getting myself super fit and getting the new the, um, the system strong, which means I added abdominal exercises, like punching, weight training, running, everything to make myself super fit. And by six months, uh, I virtually dried it up and stayed that way for many, many years. And, and the thing is that you basically applied your physiotherapy knowledge and you weren't just your everyday physiotherapist. You were working with, was it the Australian Wallabies, the Olympic teams? You had, you know, elite well, sports. First physio for the Queensland Reds, the first physio for the Wallabies, the first physio for the Kangaroos. And in those days, uh, virtually everything else going in Queensland because yep. they weren't doing sports physio. So, mm-hmm. so you applied your physiotherapy knowledge to your own pelvic floor. You did develop something called functional um, rehabilitation for pelvic floor, which meant that, as you just said, you did things like sit-ups and running and jogging to try and facilitate or co-contract the pelvic floor at the same time to rewire the circuitry mechanism, like the reflex response. So every single patient that I um, treat, Peter, has your PDF of your book. Now, your book, i just like to um, share, is called Conquering Incontinence because I believe um, this was published in 2002 and this was what, six years after your original surgery? And you went and um, tested your own pelvic floor continence by climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. <laughs> I, I had such an elation for living at this stage of the game because there's a fair amount of, of confronting mortality when you get a cancer diagnosis and it's quite a depressing situation just by itself. So now, gosh, you are mortal. And, uh, and so I've got this elation that I needed to, to, to be grateful I'm alive, to prove I'm alive, but I also wanted to test my incontinence treatment. And uh, so I did climb Mount Kilimanjaro, which is 20,000 feet high in Africa. And, uh, and that was a, a great um, sort of a triumph for me to do that. And, uh, and my, 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 my depression went, and the, the minute my incontinence was okay, by the way. And so I was going to ask, did you stay continent in that 20,000? Yeah, well, yeah. that was a worry that if I didn't, um, if I leaked at all, because it was freezing, it was, it was, one, it was minus three degrees, <laughs> I would have done myself. <laughs> yeah, it would have been cold. <laughs> it would have frozen. Yeah, it would have, everything would have been frozen down there. So it, would have, <laughs> it would have been very weird. So then you came home and pro- uh, produced the book Conquering Continents, and um, that's still available. Uh, so we'll be able to um, let people know about that by adding a link to the show notes. And then we have the PDF of your book, which I've given every one of my 4,000 radical prostatectomy patients, and uh, they all really like it. And I actually weave your PDF of the book um, in with Craig Allingham's uh, Chapter 5 list of exercises in his prostate recovery map. So that's always added in at four weeks post-radical prostatectomy, but also often commenced preoperatively as well, your whole um, program. So Peter has basically been my mentor in men's health. But when I actually came across to Queensland to work with you for a week, Peter, you said to me something that always, I think, back shocked me. You said, Joe, I'm actually not so interested in prostate cancer management anymore. I've come across something 
really new and exciting and interesting called pudendal neuralgia. Would you mind if I told you about that? And I had no idea what you were talking about. So can you let us all know what you were talking about? <laughs> because of my, of my involvement with urologists, um, that was a bit of a lead in. So as, as the years went on, as part of the, the book on incontinence, I had to learn what the pudendal nerve was, what, what made the bladder open and shut and how to, how to control it. And so I had the pudendal nerve there in the back of my mind always. But I had an urologist came in with a painful lower back from going to the gym. So I assessed him and diagnosed him as being a sacred iliac joint problem, manipulated him and gave him some exercises and sent him on his way. He rang up the next day and said, mate, thank you, my back's so much better, but you also took away my pain from my testicle. Well, I said, you didn't tell me that. You don't walk into the physio in those days and say, but I said, oh. So I, so he said, I've had this, this testicle pain for two years. I've been to every specialist in Brisbane. I was going to have surgery in two weeks' time. What did you yeah. do? And I said, well, you saw what I did. I just manipulated your back. Uh, and he said, look, I've got a whole range. I've got a half a dozen of these patients like myself in my rooms. I'm going to send them to you. So one at a time, uh, I manipulated them and the same treatment worked for them. So he said, whatever you did, find out what the heck it was. And he didn't know and I didn't know. And I found out, of course, it was the pudendal nerve goes to the scrotum, not the testicle. That's from some other nerve. It was actually the scrotum we were retreating. So the pudendal nerve, which comes out of S2, 3 and 4, and, uh, out of the sacrum, uh, was influenced, I found, by the sacroiliac joint being rotated or out of whack to be used. Peter, can I just get you to explain um, for the people listening the difference between a scrotum and a testicle? Because I think that people would have think that's the same thing. Well, in fact, most people did, including my neurologist. Yeah. <laughs> the well, that's where we thought the pain was coming from. But the scrotum is the sac that holds the testicles. And the testicle uh, gets its nerve supply mainly from T11-12. But the scrotum gets its supply mainly from the pudendal nerve. And the pudendal nerve, I also found, that, so I went back to university for four years and studied this. I've got my own body and got, got, got a supervisor myself, and uh, we dissected it and found out where the nerve went to, and it indeed goes to every major structure in the pelvis. It's called, uh, the, the, the word, it's derived from the word pudenda, which means shameful, uh, so which is Latin. We've never used the word, we don't talk about that area for 2,000 years, and so uh, the nerve goes to every major structure and function in the pelvis. That includes the sexual yeah. function, the bowel function, the urinary function, yeah. the me mechanics of it and the sensation of it. So um, I now my clinic is about one-third prostate cancer patients, one-third pelvic pain patients, and one-third everything else urological. But often that link of musculoskeletal um, basis is the key, and that's what you taught me on that trip in 2011. Well, Good. Uh, there's a lot of people out there, males and females, females I think more than males, who have, who have pelvic pain. And a lot of the pain, uh, and you have to go through a process, it's just a diagnosis by exclusion. And generally the specialists work out what it's not, and then they think, well, it may well be coming from the pudendal nerve. Please have a look at his back and see what's going on. So if you have that pain then, Peter, you discovered that if you manipulate the sacroiliac joint, is that right? If you release that? helps and then what was the what other treatments helped that pain 
Well, um, you know, generally urologists will find a whole lot of other reasons that might have given the pain that maybe uh, there's a lot of, of, of structures and things in there and disease processes uh, with gynecologists and, and urologists can find. But if the pain doesn't get any better, then they think it may well be a nerve pain and it may well be coming from your back. So oh. then you look at the iliac joint and you find out, yes, it is rotated, so you treat that. And by, but by the time the, pain gets, the patient gets to you, it's generally past three months. And then the patient gets what's called a persistent pain scenario, I like to call it, or, um, or the nerves are neurally hypersensitive and they get what's called flare-ups. So the, it's, the pain has changed the brain. So now you've got to be very careful, you've got to be very aware you treat two things, you treat the pain and you treat the cause. And you treat them both at the same time and the patient has to be aware of what's going on. And so I'm not a physio, so just for my um, simple mind when it comes to this, that kind of leads to me to think that when people get that sort of original pain, then they're going to get a really tight pelvic floor because they'll be holding onto it. So is pelvic floor exercises important at this time as well? It, it, it can be, but the pudendal nerve goes to the pelvic floor. So if you start to muck around the pelvic floor too much, you can get a free up just by by doing deep tissue massages or by doing too many hard exercises. I actually keep away from them. I try and tr treat the cause first, and if you and then uh, then if they're still getting a lot of perineal pain or pelvic floor, floor pain, sometimes you may need to go there. Uh, sometimes Botox helps. There's all different ways to ease the pain down. But generally, if you treat the cause. And the cause is coming from your sacral actoid being out of whack and you, and you realign, so to speak, uh, and you take pressure off the nerve, the, the, the pressure will go away off the, the pelvic floor. It'll get right. Okay. So my take on that, Peter, is urologists are looking at the more sinister potential causes, things like the cancers and infections, STDs, all those sorts of things that could lead to this. And they basically do all the most important things to rule out anything more serious. And then if they can't find a cause, it's often grouped as chronic pelvic pain syndrome, of which there's four different types. And we've talked about that in mm. recent um, podcasts. And we're normally looking at the type 3B, which is a non-bacterial prostatitis. But I like to simplify it with my patients. Say it's often not the plumbing. It's the wiring to the plumbing. That's the problem. And just like you said, I've stayed away myself from doing a lot of internal pelvic floor physiotherapy because I like to work from the outside in, not the inside out, because you taught me to look for the cause. And I think of the body and the roadmap more or less of the spine, and the nervous system as giving us the pathway of where everything emanates from. And then all we have to do is follow it. We have to know our anatomy really well as physios. But then I've just found if you then trace your map, so your pelvic pain map that you designed and you came and um, it, uh, delivered at the 2018 Sports Medicine Conference of Australia, it's founding work because the pudendal nerve actually splits into three different major nerves that go into three different regions. Do you mind just brushing on upon that a little bit for us? Yeah, when the... The, 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 the nerve comes out of S234 out of three different cables, joins together and goes between two big thick ligaments that keep the sacrum and the, and the ilium together. It then breaks up and goes to one cable, goes to the anus, so you get pain around the anal sphincter and around the rectum. Uh, the second one um, goes to the scrotum, 
perineum, the base of the bladder, the urethral sphincter for stopping and starting and, and, and urgency and frequency, and continues on to the muscles of arousal and erectile dysfunction, and which leads to pain with ejaculation, pain with orgasm. Um, and the third one goes, it, it's actually called the penile or the, um, um, or the clitoral nerve by then, and it, of course, goes to the penis or the clitoris. So there's three of them, and you can get one of those, the whole three, or any number in between, including the functions of, of, of erectile dysfunction uh, and, uh, and urinary dysfunction, which, of course, very quickly impacts on relationships, and, uh, and then you've got a really big, um, a big, a, a big difficult scenario to sort of deal with. So, so the patient tends to come in, he's depressed, she's depressed. So you've got to treat that as well, treat, treat the depression and, uh, and relationships as well. So it, it's a big field and you often need several professionals to help you. So Peter, I've got a bit of a an interesting case at the moment, a gentleman who's had... Um, been told he has prostatitis, I don't know, 15 years ago and has had ongoing um, scrotal pain. And because of that, he's single and he's really reluctant to date because any sexual arousal at all causes him extreme pelvic pain. And I actually have um, referred him to Joe, so it's going to be really interesting Mm -hmm. to see what happens there. But from, and I know that as a physio, you don't prescribe, but I'm sure you have lots of experience in seeing pharmacological solutions that assist with the physiotherapy with this. What have you seen works well? No, well, let me go back on prostatitis. In about 1967, when they were trying to, to categorise all the prostate, all the urinary problems, including prostate, any pain down below there, they call prostatitis. So they've got the idea, everyone got the idea, any pain there was prostatitis, so they treated them with antibiotics. Even though they could find no bacteria. And it stayed that way for all the years. So the first thing is sometimes you get antibiotics, but because there's an anti-inflammatory component in some of them, it eases the pain down, but it never treats the cause. So these people are on antibiotics for years and years and years. It's so, so sorry, can I just interrupt you there? It's very interesting because this gentleman was prescribed when he was first diagnosed tetracycline and it yeah. works when he has the flare-up and in my deep, dark recesses of my mind, I remembered when I worked in palliative care many years ago that tetracycline had a pain response. And so he's convinced that every time he gets a flare-up, it's infection and the tetracycline does it, but it's not because I've checked there's no infection. I'm sure it's just the pain-relieving part of the tetracycline. And 97% of the time, as Roger Robert taught us, Peter, in, in Sydney, um, the infection is not the cause of prostatitis mm. or pelvic pain. Yeah, so, so, so what would you do in that situation, Peter? Well, well I, the first thing I do is look at his sacred electrolyte. Well, I get his history. A lot of these patients, uh, and one of the, 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 the continuing or rather defining clues is always worse in sitting because as soon as they sit down, they rotate the pelvis ball and the two ligaments that the nerve goes in between uh, becomes even more compressed. Uh, it compresses them. So if it's painful driving, watching TV, studying, uh, you will generally say he's probably got a sacral electron problem straight away. Uh, yeah. So, but, but I mean, I would, that's not the case, but, but I, I would look at the sacral electron straight away and try and work from there. 
I'm sorry, I didn't let you finish answering the other question either, which was, have you seen any pharmacological things go hand in hand with this that help? Only if there's an infection. So that's a quirk, first thing. But secondly, once you get persistent pain, then you've got to have to, you have to get involved with neuropathic pain medication. And there's a very fine art to doing that as well. So you're either your GP or your specialist or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, Melissa and, Melissa and I work quite well together because um, we're basically up the corridor from one another and I ask her to prescribe all the medications that she, she thinks might be helpful. So the typical ones are, well, Melissa can talk about them. Yeah, usually um, some Bolta is quite good for pelvic pain um, and then the the pre-gabs, the Lyricas, the Endeps, those kind of things and usually work well. Yeah. And we've also been using for people with extreme flare-up pain, um, diazepam suppositories just for when they get woken at night time with that real, real acute pain. That works really well for acute pain only. Yeah. Well, I would say most of them would have to do that at some stage because even though you can treat the cause, the thing becomes so highly sensitised that even though they've just got to touch it or sit the wrong way or jump the wrong way and they get a massive flare-up, which can be managed by neuropathic pain medication, and I tell them that. Yeah, and we had mm. that discussion with our last podcast um, with um, the the um, fellow sitting on a quiche. Yes, and um, getting a flare up for five months, and it was just a soft quiche, but it was his pain uh, central sensitization hypersensitivity situation that kind of led to him having catastrophic thoughts about it, and then he couldn't sit down for the next five months. So, you know, overall, uh, this pain science education is a big part of it, as is the physiotherapy, as is the uh, medication. Now, you have actually produced a wonderful book and it is called Pelvic Pain, A Musculoskeletal Approach to Treatment. That was your first book. And in pelvic pain, that is, you've got many other books. You're also a renowned sculptorist as well as military um, historian of Australian war history. Um, is there is there another book that's out now? I think you were working on last time you spoke, or mentioned that, or very timely because I've just you know during COVID, and I, last year in 2020, I was actually the senior Australian of the year for Queensland, and my my idea was to go and talk to everyone about pelvic pain and about about men's health, and I couldn't do that, so I sat in the corner and wrote, and so I've just written another, book, and it's actually about men's health. And it's not just about men's health. It's to find out the question was asked, why don't men look after their health better? That's where it started. Right. For me to delve into that and find out why they did it, meant I had to go back into prehistory to find out why, why, why what led to the idea of the three Ps of male's identity, and that's to protect, to provide, and to, to procreate. That's what men do. Provide and procreate. I like that. We're going to call that, that's going to be the uh, title of our. Well, podcast, yep. I was planning on calling it the Magnificent Man. Oh, yeah, that's probably better. Yeah, <laughs> also that men gained again uh, a perception that women were inferior because they had to be big and strong and go out and kill animals to bring back to eat. And so, women we've always thought of women as being inferior to us up to this day. Mm. So the job, the, the part of my job in this book, then I had to turn it around. To redefine male, so hopefully the book of this hasn't. I've got it to publish now, but it hasn't been accepted properly yet. It's only been there two weeks. Um, really? 
would be uh, the, the title will be um, refeathering the peacock and <laughs> reimagining the new modern male. So I'm trying to change male behaviour. Oh, wonderful! Where about health to be to take more responsibility? Okay. How do we buy that book? I can't wait to read it. Well, every woman says that they're going to have a tough job changing miles, but we will. my generation's been tough. My son's generation is pretty marvellous. My grandson, who's 22, his generation, they have a lot of trouble with a lot of things already. I mean, they, 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 they do. On a, on a spectrum, there are about 50 different local, they don't even question it. So, um, so, so uh, anyway, that, that's in answer to your question. That's what I did last year, and I've only finished weeks ago. And, well, uh, I was going to write a book last year, um, Peter, but I ended up doing this podcast with Melissa. So 2022 is my book. <laughs> um, but when you um, get that book published and it's available, we will get you to come back on and we will have a chat to you about that because um, we have a worldwide audience now. Probably, mm. I know, Melissa, more than 30,000 mm. people um, listen regularly. So we are building and we would love to share that with you. Now, Peter, we have to... Um, pretty much wind up our chat I feel like I could talk to you for forever um you know I can talk a lot and um <laughs> no 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 <laughs> we've had so many interactions over the years you've always been so generous with your time um I was actually chatting to another physio this morning um from Canberra and it just so happens he's chatting to you soon and I said Peter's been so generous with um mentoring me over the years and I just have always appreciated your availability and curious mind, but the fact that even into your 70s, you're still working full-time as a physiotherapist. You're still actually writing books, climbing mountains, and um, can't thank you enough. You are the father of men's health in the world. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. It's been so lovely to meet you, and I can't wait to read your book. Well, it'll, it'll, they take about 10 months to a year if they accept it because some people don't accept different genres. You've got to search around until you find the right publisher. This will be my, this is my 10th book, and I've had a lot of experience with them, but they're still not loyal to you. They're loyal to their own genre. Mm. So just don't hold your breath, but it'll be there. It'll be there. I've just got one final thing to say. There's a very important man who wants to meet you. He's on Podcast 46, Dr. David Dangerfield. He wants to have a good chat to you about your knowledge of the epidental nerve for his pioneering surgery to regenerate sexual function after men have had radical prostatectomy. So I'll be sending you an email to link you up. He's in Melbourne. Very glad to talk to him. All right. Thanks so much, Peter, for your time. Really appreciate it. Okay. Good to talk to you both. See you, Jane. Thanks so much. Tell about a boy lives inside me He's been there all of my life Hi, this is Dr. Joe. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We're getting so many emails, so many questions and so much feedback. And Melissa and I are absolutely thrilled about this. What we'd really love you to do, though, is to share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit, including any man in your life. Simply download using your favourite podcast app or subscribe to the penisproject.org. You'll get a weekly email and new releases. And this helps our podcast to get more people. And if you write a review and subscribe as well, well, we'll get known more widely across the globe. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. Just a mystery to me. I've got a boy of my own now. It fills me with pride.
see him growing so fast into a man.